0: Having a conversation with me today, Charlotte. I wanted to start off by asking you how you would describe your work.
1: Wow, that's a good question. Thanks for having me, Alexandra. I'm really pleased to talk with you today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, my work, I guess it's, I mean, people tell me it's creepy. (laughs) I think it's kind of funny. Some people think it's funny. I would, it's, it's, idiosyncratic? I don't I don't think there's anybody that's really doing what I do, yeah. so I guess it's kind of unique in that way. Those sound like good adjectives.
0: <laughs> I like that distinction you just made between creepy and funny. Are you setting out to be creepy? <laughs> that's a reaction you're getting.
1: Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And that is the reaction I'm getting. It really depends on the person. I think that's one of the fun things about art is that the actual art happens in the brain of the the person who's looking at it or experiencing it. And so I can set out to do one thing and, and it can land, you know, in a completely different place depending on the, the viewer's background. So uh, one of my uh, models that I, I like to see, he, he tells me his grandma thinks what I do is hilarious, but then I have other people who don't even want th- my work freaks them out so bad. They, they don't even want to look at it. They're just like, Oh God, no stop. So, and it, it could be the same piece, you know? So I, I, I really, I think it really does depend on the, on the individual, how it's going to land there. You know, I like to kind of wander around and in my You know, in my creative work, like I earlier this year, I started doing a series on nightmares. And my idea was just to create all kinds of uh, monsters and things that you might see if you were having a nightmare. And it was intentionally intentionally being creepy. And then I sold um, like one of those went to the new film interview with the vampire that they're filming. I think I sold them two actually out of that set, and then the other ones went to an Italian film. I don't know what it's called. And then uh, I didn't get to finish that series. But then, like, also since then, recently I've just made a bunch of cat masks that just look like cats, and they're I, I think people will probably find them beautiful or at least not creepy, hopefully.
0: Right. <laughs> they are. They are quite striking. When you started on the nightmare series. How does that start for you when you go into a project? Does it start as an idea? Does it start as an image in your mind?
1: I wish I could kind of get back where I was when I started that one, because I I got interrupted before I got to finish the series and then there was just no way for me to go back to it. I kind of lost the the thread. I guess it's the materials. I guess, yeah, I guess, I think this is probably true for most artists uh, throughout history is that their art is formed by the materials that they have available. And so for me, I I try to have a lot of stuff around in my studio to play with. And then um, I'll just pick up different things in my studio, like pieces of different kinds of paper or shells or things. And then I'll just kind of imagine what could happen with that, like a shell that looks like a tooth or a, a paper towel roll that could look like a horn of a monster or something. And then by kind of playing with the with the materials and the shapes and things i'm able to imagine i guess just the way a kid does when they pick up stuff and play with it imagine what what that could be and then with the nightmare thing i just i i wanted intentionally to do something creepy and i i think about dreams and nightmares as a realm where everybody's creative like people say oh i'm not an artist i could never do that but it's that's not true because Everybody's an artist when they're asleep, right? Nobody tells you, "Oh, you can't. You can't direct a film." Oh, but you can every time you fall asleep, you know? So I I wanted to try to kind of get into this this space where everybody is creative in their dreams and then that's that's going to resonate with everybody because every everybody's had a nightmare, right? And so if I can kind of get into the place where those come from, it won't just work for me, it'll work for everybody that sees it.
0: Did you use your own nightmares or did you talk with other people about their nightmares?
1: Yeah, I love to talk with other people about their nightmares. Um, I'm especially interested in, what do they call it, sleep paralysis?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yep. some people have, apparently it's really similar. Like the descriptions that people who, who who suffer with that give are all remarkably similar. Like something is sitting on their chest, you know, and uh, they they can't breathe. and it, and, and it's really interesting we get these ideas of like the succubus or the incubus or some of these, you know, mythological night terrors, you know, people say, well, it's like, there's a monster sitting on my chest. I just try to imagine what that monster looks like. You know, it's probably, it probably looks like a cat (laughs) since they always come and sit on your chest at night. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like a cat or like some kind of small, I mean, we, we just use words to describe these things like a, like a gremlin or a a monster, there's like a bunch of different kinds of words to describe the kind of a thing that might be sitting on your chest at night, keeping you from breathing. And then the word that we use to describe is just gonna vary by the the time and the culture. And, you know, again, the background
0: of the person who's experiencing that. You've got some masks that are barn owls, burlap rabbit masks, and gazelle masks. Also, you just described the thing sitting on your chest as a succubus looking like a cat. I'm interested in your relationship with these animals that are often kind of considered to be regal or or cute or kind of very approachable animals for people. But they're kind of factoring in in some way to your depiction of the creepy or the nightmarish.
1: Oh, yeah, this is I love this. This is a, this is going to be fun. So I'm a registered member of the Native American nation. And if you know uh, anything about some of our traditions, some uh, nations, owls are especially important. Like I don't know if you saw that series of uh, reservation dogs that was out last year. They're they're going to be out again this year. And whenever they show the owl, you can't see his eyes. They pixelated the eyes, and it's it's absolutely hilarious. But owls are like really powerful for a lot of. Uh, North American nations Um, they're really powerful symbols and some people say they're bad luck or some people say they're witches but there's almost always some kind of a myth or a legend around around owls and they're like they're messengers you know they they show up to tell people things and they might not always be things that you want to hear you know they're they're like they're bringing um messages from another another realm and I suppose that it really depends. Again, it depends on the culture of who's looking at it, what's going to happen. But owls are like always like really powerful. And then rabbits, for me, rabbits are like so uh, so important because you think about a rabbit. He goes underground. The rabbit can live in two realms, uh, kind of like the bird. You know, it can live in the water and on the land, or in the sky and on the water. You know how these these creatures are able to go in between these different elements. So the rabbit rabbits go underground and we don't really know what happens down there under the ground in the rabbit cities where they live. But what we do know is like for a lot of a lot of people, when you're dead, we put the dead body underground and a lot of uh, cultures imagine that there's another world down there, like a whole nother city, you know, universe down there. And so for me, um, the rabbit is the guy who holds the door to that other realm and we really don't know what's there it could be really bad it could be really scary it could be death you know it could be the guy that transitions you from the normal world the regular everyday world where you know you've got like cars and and, and credit cards and and work and this other realm where where these other things happen and it's uh, we we don't really know and so rabbits are rabbits and owls are just rabbits are just incredibly powerful for storytelling you know and so I really like that I like those um kinds of creatures like i'm I'm looking at my you know I've, I've got like 100 masks in this room and'm I'm, I'm looking at them and I guess for me in in some way they are almost all representatives of other other worlds you know they the monsters like the the monsters that are just plain monsters they they're they're gonna to talk to us about about beauty and ugliness and our conceptions about what those things should be and what we think should be aesthetic and I love the idea that the the monsters are like actually really decent like they they're trying to live their everyday lives you know they want to read the paper and I don't know walk the dog but because they're monsters they they have a really hard time with that like you know <laughs> so I, I like the idea that these, you know these animals and and the other creatures have like lives and and purposes and then I try to I try to find those spirits and and bring them out in my work and show them to other people. Imagine if the monsters that you see in your nightmares imagine if they're real. They have real, real regular lives. They they have to go to work and raise families and and do all the, the things that you know we do, but they do it like in another place. And then every now and then, like when we're really tired or when strange things happen, we have access to that. Like we can see them. We might not be able to see their world, or maybe they invite us to their world. That that could that could happen. I don't know if I would go. I mean, if a monster said, "Hey, come through this door," would you go?
0: <laughs> yes. You would? Yeah, absolutely. What an interesting invitation.
1: Man, you are braver than I am. Maybe, maybe my nightmares are really scarier.
0: <laughs> maybe.
1: <laughs> I'm okay meeting these these gatekeepers, these door doormen for the other worlds. So I'm I'm really okay in my relationships with them, but I don't know if I want to go where they are, <laughs> where they come from. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know what they say: curiosity killed the cat, right? That's interesting. You've also got some images of Baphomet. I'm curious about that.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, that's an interesting divergence for me. So I'm I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that, you know, stuff. I'm not a Satanist for sure. But um, I had a customer like two or three years ago who asked me to make him a devil mask, and I made it, and I was like, man, this is cool. I really like this mask. And because I'm not uh, religious at all I'm not afraid to play in that area where other people might be superstitious they might they might get afraid because of their superstitions or beliefs or something but I don't, I don't have that problem so I'm really comfortable working in that space I can see the mask as a mask he bought the mask for me he really liked it and I love the pictures he sent and I thought well Shoot. I can, I I posted it on my Instagram and people loved it. And I was like, well, I'll just make another one. And I did. And then I made another one and then I made some Krampus masks. You Mm -hmm. probably know what Krampus is. And so I, yeah. And that's, so it wasn't like something that really came from me, but some of my better ideas have actually come from my customers.
0: What's that relationship like?
1: I have a pretty good variety. So I, I do a lot with TV and movies. Like I I've done quite a bit for like various TV series and movies and things like that. And so the relationship with those, it's usually the costume or set designer set deck who gets in touch. They need something. A lot of times it's some, they'll just, they'll just buy what's already in my shop and they're just letting me know it's for production or we have to sign some papers or something like that. But for the individuals, like, a lot of times, I, like this week, I had a request from a woman whose daughter really likes sloths. Mm-hmm. And she's doing a fundraiser for a Costa Rica sloth refuge. And she wanted a sloth mask, you know, for her daughter to wear at the party. And I have a really nice relationship with her. I made a really cute uh, sloth mask for her daughter. So it, it kind of goes in between. And then sometimes I got some really weird people like, probably because of my work. Some of the people who get in touch with me do not become customers because I'm just not into whatever, they, whatever they're talking about. It's just like, mm, I'm going to pass on this. And I think this person might not be entirely stable. And I just, you know, so it, it does really vary, but I have like some people who I've worked with who I've made masks or costumes and masks. Or, and then, and then like they, every time they have another project, they get in touch with me and, I get to work with them again so uh, I really and then um, some like I have a I do quite a bit on social media I really like Instagram I get some people there who who interact a lot with my with my stories like on my Instagram if you go there you'll see like I post my work and then I write stories sometimes people respond to the characters like they'll send like notes or letters to the to the characters that I invent and so and those people sometimes become my my favorite customers they just really like my work they were like really supportive and um just really really great it, kind of all over the place really with the with the customers I, I get some weird ones like one day this lady was like wanted to know if I could make her a mask that was a seagull with the ocean on its head and just like I don't even know what you're talking about like I just I just don't even know. And I replied, you know, hey, thank you very much for your interest in my work. I'm sorry, you'll have to give me some more information about what you want. And then she she never, you know, wrote back. So I'm assuming it was just a, I don't know. <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't know.
0: <laughs> your Instagram feed is pretty amazing. It's, I don't know if you can, next level Instagram feed is what I would call it. The production value for the images is great. You've got they're like film stills to me. I guess the way I'm engaged it is they're like film stills. And then there's these fantastic stories, um, kind of maybe microfiction about the characters. Was that planned or did that evolve over time?
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, th- I'm really glad you, you like that. I, I spend a lot of time on my on my Instagram and I, I really try to make a, a nice Instagram that people are going to enjoy. And I, I I put probably more time than I should on that. Um, how did that evolve? You know, I, I've always been a writer and people always told me, you know, you're, you're actually a writer and I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm an artist. I just make stuff. I just like to make stuff. But, um, somehow I'm not exactly sure how it was on New Year's a couple of years ago. And I was like, you know, I'm going to write stories for these characters. So I think I, I really struggled. I would post a picture of something I'd made and then I really struggled to, to figure out what to say about it. And I just put, like, the dumb hashtags, like, you know, mask for sale, mask art, like that. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. And then somehow I um, I got the idea, well, I really like inventing characters. I like telling stories. Why don't I just use Instagram as a way to talk about uh, these, these people that I've met in my life? Some of them are real. Some of them are not real. And, um, yeah, it really evolved. And it was like... Um, let's see, I think it was right after I got stuck here, so 20, uh, yeah, it was early 2020. Yeah, and beginning of 2020, I I started to do that, and it was early in 2020 when the pandemic really kicked off that people started writing to my characters, and I was like, oh, wow, this is incredible, and uh, so it's actually evolved and become one of my very favorite things that I that I get to do, because I, I always like to make masks and I especially like to take pictures of people wearing the masks. That was always my my thing, you know, that's always what I wanted to do as an artist. Uh, but I also wanted to do animation and film and like I had a bunch of other things that I probably will never have time to learn. But with the stories, I get to write. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a burden I have to write a lot and it, it takes a lot of time, but it, it's in a way it's like my favorite I think it somehow completes the project for me of what I what of what I always wanted to do. It's it brings it it brings it all the way around full, full circle. It's just incredibly satisfying. I really like it.
0: They're incredibly satisfying to look at and read and think about and just bring them up. Um, I actually bring them up on my computer screen, not just my phone, so I can look at the picture, do the reading, and it's in you know, a larger size because my eyes are punished by the screen size of the phone. <laughs> And they're, they're wonderful. They're just really wonderful. That's so interesting, too, that they're happening at a time when you were starting to get this kind of interaction from people.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm I really I'm really glad you like it. I, I'm so, so happy about that. I see Instagram right now, like in the last couple of years. It's like a, it's almost like a renaissance for it's like some kind of incredible flourishing for artists like you go on Instagram if you're a visual artist, or probably even a sound artist uh, of any kind, and you can just you can put your stuff out there for free, and it can potentially be seen by millions of people, it's really amazing. And I think uh, in that way, because of Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and these um, these these surfaces, these platforms, art galleries like the old art galleries where like there was some you know person that owned it and they They would, you know, heavily curate that and you kind of had to know them or be really nice to them. And then maybe they'd put your art in their gallery. And then if you were really lucky, you'd sell something and they'd take half of it on commission. But probably nobody's going into that gallery. Now it's like, why would I ever want to put my stuff in an art show or an art gallery when I have Instagram? And I can potentially be seen by anybody anywhere in the world. It is where art happens now. I think it's it's incredibly liberatory, especially if you live in a, like a, a remote place or a small town. You're not in New York or Los Angeles. You wouldn't have the opportunity to be seen by so many people.
0: Would you call that the democratization of gallery space?
1: Absolutely. The democratization of art, which can be good or not good. I mean, you can look at like fake designer jeans as the democratization of art. Mm. (laughs) you know popular movies as the you know like stupid um you know hollywood schlock movies as a democratization of art but in another way it it got rid of the gatekeepers right we we don't have those It's, it's kind of the same thing with news isn't it like you used to have to just go to i mean abc cbs nbc but now you can go to a lot of different places and get and get news the, the the traditional gatekeepers have kind of been done away with by uh-huh. social media i'm working on a book with a couple of collaborators who i met on instagram one of them is a writer they're not on instagram currently they're taking a break um they'll, they'll come back for sure and then um, the other one is a, a a digital artist in rotterdam we, we collaborated on the story and then i make the the characters like i i create the characters i get the photos mm-hmm. and then I send all the photos to the digital artist who it does this and he's doing this incredible, incredible art. It's, it's really amazing. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to his um, website so that um, anybody listening will have a chance to see what he's doing. And then um, we're going to send, once everything's put together, we're going to send it to our other uh, artist who's a writer. And they're going to write all of the rest of the stories for it. And it's and we're going to publish it first on Instagram. And if we do really well, then it's going to be an actual book book on paper. It's really exciting.
0: That sounds exciting.
1: Yeah. I, I wonder if books are are actually becoming kind of obsolete, though. Mm. Like,
0: I'm always a fan of books. So I'm going to say no, even if it's not true.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love books. I had a, a gigantic library of books in Alaska. I had just thousands of books. But um, you know, I don't know if I'll ever see them again. But I, I feel like I mean the, the 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 numbers from the booksellers kind of back this up that the number of people who buy actual books is is going down. And it's it's really in in a certain kind of it's kind of almost niche now that the sort of people who buy books. And I don't know if they're the same kind of people that look at my art so i don't know we'll see we'll see
0: i want to take a step back with something you said earlier that you had started out wanting to make masks and to take photos of people in masks and it made me think how did you come to masks like when was the moment you decided i want to make masks
1: well i've always made masks ever since i was a kid um I'm, I'm lucky enough that my my great grandma uh, a na- Native American woman um, who I remember very well because she only died when I turned eighteen so i I had a lot of contact with her and with her her kids like my uncle's and there was always uh, Native American art in the house so there was like things you know carvings and there were like little totem totem poles and because we're from the Pacific Northwest so there were always these mask art and traditional carving uh, around, like I you know, canoes and all the kinds of things that that people make and carve. And then I guess it's more like uh, so I've always made masks ever since I was a kid, and I always I guess I didn't think of it as being separate from the kind of art that I saw growing up. It just seemed like like I was part of that culture and tradition. I had, I guess, kind of a, a break where I did uh, maybe I did more painting, but no, I've always made masks. When I look back, I've always made masks. I, I was in Europe in the early 90s and I bought a camera and I started taking photos and I realized I love taking pictures. And so when I went back to the States, I still had my camera and I wanted to do a project of taking pictures of people wearing masks. And then I wanted to like animate that and paint on the paint on the photograph. So, you know, I wanted to make a mask and a costume, put a person in them, have them do something, you know, in a group together, like dancing in the forest or something. And then I wanted to paint actually on the actual prints because I had a darkroom and then I wanted to find a way to animate that. So my Project was probably a little bit too ambitious for my skill level at the time. Because <laughs> um, looking back on it now, it's like, even with all that I've learned since then, I, I still don't know if I could, I could do that. I'm still really interested in animation arts and, you know, in painting and photography. But I think it was once I got a camera, it, it just clicked with the mask thing. It's like what I want to see, the the visions, the things that I want to see in the world, are people wearing masks and and just doing things while wearing masks. And I I want to take pictures of that. And uh, yeah, it's just, I I don't know. I, I mean, I guess everybody has their own artistic vision, what they want to see and what they work toward with their with their work. And for me, that's, that's where I'm at. And and so I guess I'm part of the Native American mask making tradition or the world mask making tradition, because it, all, all the cultures all over the world, since the beginning of time, people have used masks. So I, I guess I feel like I'm kind of in that, in in that kind of traditional thing. But what is different is my material. So I, I use paper. I think about paper a lot. Wood was a most traditionally used for um, Native American masks, where I'm from. Typically, stuff was made from wood. My grandpa, my great-grandpa, both worked in the wood industry, in the timber industry, because there was a lot of trees in the Pacific Northwest. This this comes back to, to our art being formed by our materials and what we have around us. And then my dad also had a sort of auxiliary. He worked, like, adjacent to the paper industry which you know as you know it also comes from trees my whole life I've just been really interested in in paper so once I I tried making masks out of a lot of different things and then once I realized I could just do it with like cloth and and paper mache I was like okay this, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm I I've found my my happy place I also make them with wire and tape um, but I, I haven't done those a lot because like for movies and stuff they need something more durable uh, so just for like one off, if it's just for a photo shoot or some little silly thing I want to do, yeah, I'll I'll use that technique. But for most of my customers for sale, they want something really durable. They want something that's going to last and hold up through all the abuse of, you know, production, filming or, or parties or whatever, you know, whatever they do with them.
0: Do you collect papers outside of the materials you use for your masks? I'm curious about this relationship with paper.
1: Yeah, I, I it's it's kind of weird because I'm looking around my studio and it's literally full of paper. I've kind of wondered for a long time if I'm actually like some kind of a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I there's just like there's paper all over the walls here. There's notes and phone numbers and important things I need to remember. And then there's just piles of paper because in in Portugal where I live now, paperwork is just like a big deal. I keep joking that they need to they're going to need to plant another uh, colony of just for trees on the moon in order to satisfy their demand for paper. And then, then the rest of the room it's full of like cardboard boxes. Cause I use a lot of boxes for shipping and stuff. And it's just, but before, you know, I, I was thinking about that before because I've had to move a lot in my life. I've often had to just pack up everything and go to another place. And There's always just been mountains and mountains of paper. I'm always surprised at how much paper I generate. And I don't really understand it. Just notebooks full of um, sketches and folders full of like receipts and and, and business business paperwork and, and medical stuff. And just like, just seems like my life is just surrounded by paper. I don't know. Do you, do you find that? Don't you have just like boxes and boxes of paper? Yes,
0: I have an absurd amount of paper. And I even have favorite papers, you know, the <laughs> favorite weight of the paper. So I can connect with this love of paper. Favorite feeling of the surface of the paper. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm really glad to hear that. Actually, I feel a little bit less, a little bit less weird and alone. In that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, re- I really like. And paper is so wonderful to work with because it's really forgiving. That's one of the things I, I. Well, it's cheap. It's readily available. And if you screw it up, well, it didn't cost very much, did it? Just start again, you know. I, and it's lightweight, so it's easy to it's easy to ship. And if you treat it right, it's in, incredibly durable. And then there's yeah like you said there's all these luscious papers of, of different kinds and different textures I, ilford photographic paper the matte texture of that is so silky yeah. or sometimes like books like the the covers they get this really lovely kind of silky yeah
0: <laughs> absolutely when you're making a new mass that you haven't made before and you've got this forgivable material. How do you approach it? Yeah,
1: I'm I'm really a hands-on person. I'm in kind of like a sculptor in that way. What I I think what I do is probably technically sculpture. I mean, sometimes people want me to send um, a drawing, and I'm like, you know, I could just make this really fast. Like, I can draw, I can draw competently well, but I feel like if if the thing has been drawn, then it has to whatever I end up making has to match the drawing. And I, you know, I don't really like copying. I like to let the materials kind of tell me what it wants to be. And so my process is like, I like to use recycled paper. That's really important for me with the environment and everything. Like I try to use as much, um, you know, nice clean paper and boxes and things to to reuse. But yeah, I typically I just get some, some card, like, you know, beer boxes work really well, cereal boxes. I like to use um, that kind of paper and then I can just I can just sort of fold and bend it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty strong, you know, (laughs) I'm able to just bend that paper, uh, like, (laughs) like nothing. Um, Yeah, but, you know, paper bends easily. So it's, it's, I find it really easy to, to make my shapes and stuff. And I, I really enjoy just letting, letting the paper, like the size of the piece that I have to work with, or or the lines that are already on there. And I kind of like to work with what the paper's already doing in a way. Like as some of my uh, first um, masks were made on on beer boxes, you know, that paper that you get, it's kind of a carton, kind of a car- yes, cart, yeah. craft paper carton. Yeah, and it, it's it's pretty nice to work with, but it's always a certain size. And I found that that's a really good size for for masks. It's just right, about the right size for somebody's head if I just sort of fold, start folding and cutting and bending and taping the box or the package, the paper, it turns into a mask. And that's my favorite way to go about it is to let the, let the material tell me what it is, like find the spirit that's in there and and get it out of there. Sometimes um, when I'm finishing a mask, I'll see, I don't know, like somebody that was mean to me or some kind of awful person or something. And I'm able to kind of attach somehow like get the get the trauma out of some of those horrible people and get it into the mask when i'm finishing it up sometimes but in the beginning part when i'm just uh making the 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 basic shape i usually let the materials talk to me and tell me what they're going to (laughs) be
0: Do you think of that as animating the the mask character with the, the energy of that person?
1: Yeah, like the in the beginning part, yeah, I just let the materials speak to me and I follow the guidance of the materials, depending what I'm working on, paper, raffia or whatever. But yeah, when I get into the part where I'm finishing it, where I'm actually like painting the expression or the face, and because I do a lot for TV and movies, their lighting design, I need to be able to make the mask that it'll have a variety of expressions um, depending on the lighting and the camera angle Um, sometimes like if the speaker if they're going to have lines like they have to be able to be heard because it can be hard to mic a character that's you know wearing a mask so I I often have to think about things like that when I get into the into the finishing part you know and so uh, if if they if I need them to have like an expression a lot of times I can I can find some, some event or some person in my life, somebody I've heard of, or somebody I actually knew who, who was just awful. I mean, we've all, we've all, all, (laughs) there's just enough of them to make it interesting, isn't there? And um, a lot of times they'll find, I'll find a way to get those, those people into my, into my work, (laughs) those uh, characteristics and things. So yeah, I do sometimes, um, invoke I guess the the spirits of some of these people who I find unpleasant and in a way it helps me get it out of my system if I write a story about them I I literally write stories about the people who are awful to me sometimes and they don't know you know they'll never know and it really does help me get that out of my out of my system you know It, it helps me keep my I guess my heart Clear, you know, so that I'm not holding a lot of resentment and stuff for, for that. It it doesn't. It's not perfect. Um, Obviously, I I still struggle like everybody else does. But um, it does. I think for a lot of artists, I think that our our creative impulse, our our impetus, it's it's a lot to um, to help us process stuff, right? For sure. For me, that's a lot of it. This creative impulse often helps me process things that are just just horrible you know (laughs) and kind of and kind of get bring them through me into the world and then I can put it somewhere else and and sometimes I can even sell those experiences in that way you know if it becomes a mask that goes to a a movie or something then other people get to have the same nightmare (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: how do you know when you're finished
1: oh boy I do know. Oh, I don't overwork it. If the mask is working, if the piece is working, if it's if it's a successful, like, I, you know, everybody makes some bad art, right? You know, they they say, you know, everybody has like 500 draw, bad drawings and a uh, hundred good drawings. And the only way you're going to get to those hundred good ones is by drawing those 500 bad ones, right? And so I do sometimes make a, a fail piece. And then in that case, I, I might keep working on it uh, longer and longer trying to save it you know Just try to throw it's like what do they call it throw good money after bad you know like try yeah. to rescue the piece by working on it longer but generally if if the piece is working if my form is jolly and my um, the balance is good and the mask works as a mask and it's effective uh, uh, then I, I don't have a problem knowing when to stop I, I've, the only time I really have a, a trouble is when it, it didn't work, and then I just keep chasing, chasing it, trying to make it good, you know. And those ones don't don't usually sell either. It's it's funny because I can kind of feel when it's working, and and I can kind of feel when it's not working too.
0: I'm curious about you mentioned moving around a lot. Does that have an impact on your work?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's the light especially. But I'm really I'm really into the environment. I'm really really into the place where I live and into having a, a respectful uh, relationship with the environment where I live. And I try not to live in a place that I want to trash. You know, I, I try to treat uh, my, I, I choose the places that I live and I, I don't want to live in a place that I don't enjoy, you know, so I want to have a healthy and good relationship with my environment. And so the the, the place that there's different materials in different places. So in, in Alaska, I had access to different kinds of things than I have access to here to, to work with. Um, Like our materials do come from our environments. Right. And so, and so there's that, but then for like the photography part, the lighting is, it's really key. Like it's surprisingly how hard it is. It's surprising to me how hard it is to get a good, creepy photograph under the brilliantly blue sunny skies of Portugal. <laughs> and when I was in Alaska, it was like, the sky is gray. It looks like winter is coming or something. You should be afraid. Like and I look at some of my, you know, very favorite artists, and they they've gotten this excellent, you know, creepy kind of isolated like my dream right now is to go to iceland and do photos there at the at the hot springs so i can get those i love fog and i want to and the light in the north is is bluer it's creepier so i my as soon as i'm able to travel again i would love to go to iceland and do a photo shoot there by those hot springs and get the and get the the clouds of from steam rising off the hot springs Like go in the winter and, and I think, yeah, so, yeah, the, the environment really does have a, an important effect on the kind of art that I'm able to make. And, yeah, I'm, I, I love it here. I, I love where I am. But, yeah, it's I'm finding that I'm using, um, like, abandoned buildings, and I'm trying to find the the creepiness in the decay because the sky itself is just, the weather here is just gorgeous. <laughs>
0: I don't know if I want to call it a problem, I'll call it a problem, but correct me if you don't like that word of you've got a, a very beautiful light there in Portugal and I'm I'm looking at the one right now that's the story of Astra living in the abandoned tower. Yeah, and the light there is just the most beautiful light it could possibly be and it you still have that creepy quality though and it's interesting to me how you're working around a lighting that definitely doesn't support creepiness or make creepiness necessarily easy.
1: Yeah, it's been a challenge. I'm learning it, though. And I'm I'm just now trying to get into um, editing my photos on the computer. And I, I have an assistant here who I asked to do a few of them. And he he did a pretty good job. I think I let him edit like 80 photos or something. And they're kind of mixed in with my own now. I still like the way that I edit better, but I've um, injured my uh, shoulder. So I'm unable to spend all the time at the computer. that you know that I would like so editing is really hard for me that's why I asked my assistant to help me with that but the key is to take a good photo in the first place if you take a good photo then you don't have to edit it and that's the that's been the challenge and I don't have a camera I'm taking my photos with the antique iPhone (laughs) are you really Yes, I am. I'm taking all my, I don't own a camera. When I came here, I just had a small bag. I was supposed to be on holiday and the pandemic, I got trapped here and I am still here. And so I didn't, I don't have a camera. I just have a antique iPhone. It's a, I think it's an eight. (laughs) Okay. Pretty old, but uh, they take great photos.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at Ronald have his coffee and that's a great, that's a great photo too. That's impressive. Okay. Wow. I didn't realize that. Very good so yeah
1: thank you thank you yeah yeah it's been a it's been a really interesting thing to to actually learn to use the iphone but here's the here's the good news for people listening you can do it if i can do it you can do it like i used to use a like a regular camera like a single lens an antique like the kind with the it wasn't digital you know it's on film you know load it up with film and then you would advance every shot and then you go in the dark room and develop them. i used to do that and um I've never had a digital camera. (laughs) I just went from a SLR camera to to the iPhone. So if I can do it, you can do it for sure.
0: (laughs) Nice. I'd like to thank you for making some time to talk with me. I really enjoyed it. I really love your work. So thank you for talking to me about it.
1: Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to talk with you. I really enjoyed it and to share my stories with your listeners. um, I hope they enjoy our conversation. Thank uh-huh. you.